Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Please stop! I got a bad feeling about this. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Did you go out with Ray? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Get away from her, you bitch! You're gonna need a bigger boat. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Nights Podcast. Yes, this is Dalton Burdett. I'm getting over a cold. Ironically, so is... Uh, my name's Ryan Warner, and so am I. I'm getting over a cold. Yeah, uh, we both sound like shit, and we apologize. <coughs> um... But, you know, we're committed to all four of our listeners, so we wanted to make sure that we have this on time just for you. Okay, so kicking off today's show, we're going to talk about the box office. Um, we got a few interesting box office things to point out, but let's just go ahead and just start talking about the top five of the weekend of January 11th through the 13th. Coming in in first place was The Upside, starring uh, Kevin Hart. Cranston. Yes, Brian Hans Cranston and Kevin Hart. I totally just blanked. <coughs> Um, it came in at $19 million and has a budget of about 37.5. So depending on how well it does with glass opening next week, it will hopefully be able to make that back in the coming weeks. Coming in in second place was Aquaman at $17 million, which we'll talk about more in a second. Coming in third was A Dog's Way Home, making $11 million on an $18 million budget, so it's going to make its money back. Coming in at fourth was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And coming in at number five was Escape Room, wrecking in another $8.9 million. So yeah, it's... That, that movie made money for the studio. Good job. Um, going out of the top five for a second. Coming in in 12th was a new release called Replicas, the new Keanu Reeves movie, which is sitting at a very bad Rotten Tomatoes score, and it opened at $2.5 million. And its budget's not listed, but um, it's, not, it's not looking too good for that film. Not at all. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I, I do want to see this, but I did see reviews about it. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that you mentioned the budget. Because I heard the robot in that movie looks terrible, like TV show quality. Really? So, oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I planned on seeing, <laughs> I planned on seeing both *A Dog's Way Home* and *Replicas* over the weekend, but I like we, I'm so sick, I couldn't move. Oh yeah. Like yeah. Um, but you know, we're feeling great. We just sound terrible, kind of in that recovery stage. But uh, enough about us. No one gives a shit. Uh, so oh my god, I don't know if you guys can hear this, but they're doing work outside where we're recording this so i'm just so excited for that to get picked up into the mic at least hopefully um but anyway the big box office story for today <coughs> dude it's okay we i know we just started but you got this i know uh, i'm i'm looking forward to this episode <laughs> um the big box office story for this today is with aquaman aquaman just crossed a billion dollars worldwide and yes Yes, it is the first DCEU movie to do so, and I believe with James Wan directing, he's the first Asian director to direct a billion-dollar film. Yes, all the love to James Wan. I love him. He's one of my favorite filmmakers working today. Now, something interesting I want to bring up, though, is while it is number one of the DCEU worldwide being the first to make a billion dollars, it is fifth domestically. And there are six DCEU movies. Now, it will pass Man of Steel. It only needs, um, it's at 287. Man of Steel is at 291. So in its run, it, it, will, it will pass Man of Steel domestically. Um, but Suicide Squad's at 325. BVS at 330. Um, maybe. I, 
I, I see it getting pretty close to Suicide Squad. I don't know if it'll pass it. We'll see how it does here in America. But Wonder Woman is actually number one domestically at 412. <coughs> um, but yes, and ironically, Wonder Woman is third worldwide. But uh, but yeah, but obviously, you know, they don't care where it's making money. They just want to know how much it's making, and it's made a billion worldwide. And, you know, it's just, we live in a world where Aquaman, they made a movie, first of all, that they even made a movie about Aquaman. One of the, one of the goofiest comic book characters ever, and probably the biggest laughing stock in comic book history, I feel like, personally. Yeah, well, like, he's been a joke for decades. Yeah. Like, Everyone, even like within their own comic book universe, they would joke about Aquaman. Yeah, because he talks to fish. Like, yeah. what what the hell is he going to do? Yeah. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they revitalized the character in the comics a few years ago. And then, you know, obviously, Jason Momoa's iteration has kind of turned him into a surfer badass. And, you know, it's awesome just to see, one, we live in a world where they made a movie about Aquaman. And two, that movie grossed a billion dollars worldwide, which you would have never thought that that was remotely possible ever this this movie made more money than justice league worldwide a wonder woman movie a superman movie and a movie in which batman fights superman this movie has made more money than that and i think that's that is that is truly just nuck and futz if you know what i mean yeah it's insane but another box office thing that i kind of want to shift gears to is i'm honestly surprised the upside made 19 million dollars it was in uh the film festival circuit for a while and kind of disappeared and then came back um but then again i'm not really too surprised by it because it's a kevin hart movie mm-hmm. he's in it and kevin hart sells yeah. so that's uh, very interesting to see that it made 19 million dollars because i was not expecting that yeah and the the thing that's surprising about me is um you know there's controversy around kevin hart right now but i think that this is just the audience <laughs> This is the movie-going audience saying, like, hey, we forgive Kevin Hart. Like, we're no hard feelings because they went out in spades to see this movie. It was the number one movie of the week. And um, I think, and um, which we saw the film, which we're going we're gonna to review later in the episode. But, um, you know, um, it's a remake of a foreign film, which I've never seen the original, but I've heard it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, yeah, it, they're actually, the initial report said Aquaman was going to come above it for another week. But, you know, the upside got the upper hand on that one. Um, I'm going to switch <laughs> gears back to Aquaman really quick. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of look at like the DC Extended Universe and the weird path <laughs> that it's been on since it started. <clears throat> so, we look both critically and financially here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it started off with Man of Steel in 2013, which I think is a great movie, and I believe you also like this movie. Uh, yeah, it's my favorite Superman movie, which I know you like the original, but... It's fantastic. No, I, I really love the film, but uh, critically, it was pretty much split down the middle as like a fifty as a fifty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It was kind of very hit or miss with people. Um, they thought it like it looked very nice, but you know, just the destruction in the movie and the, like the sort of just downer, you know, version of the character and the story. It's a very darker take on Superman. Yeah, and it didn't work for some people, which I understand. But um, financially, it did okay. Um, Let's see. Domestically, it made $291 million, and worldwide, it made about 668 which for a first movie universe, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's a pretty good job. And so um, next is when they kind of realized, hey, um, instead of building our own universe, let's try to play catch up. And that's when Batman vs. Superman came out, which was kind of critically spat on. You know, 27% of Rotten Tomatoes, and 
it made money. Like, let's not pretend it didn't make money. Like, um, let's see, domestically it made $330 million, and worldwide it made 873 And the thing is, that's a lot of money. But the fact that the first movie ever that has Batman and Superman in it didn't get the billion-dollar mark when, before the movie came out, before people knew the quality of the film, that should have been in the conversation of, like, $1.5 billion. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it didn't make that money kind of disappointed the studio. It's not a failure by any means, but it's a disappointment to Warner Brothers. And um, so, you know, critically and financially, obviously, you stepped down. And then a couple months later, Suicide Squad came out. didn't really help things critically. <coughs> um, made the same percentage as Batman v Superman, about 27% Rotten Tomatoes-wise. But they won an Oscar. It, it, you say that one more time. They won an Oscar. That's right, for makeup. They did. Even though they beat Star Trek 3, which I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I was salty. Really? Yeah, I love Star Trek 3. And, like, the makeup in that movie was ridiculous. Yeah. And I was very surprised that it won. But, you know, irregardless. Um, it made... The thing about Suicide Squad, though, is it overperformed. Mm-hmm. Um, domestically, it made 325, but worldwide, it made 746. For a movie about the Suicide Squad. And I think that sort of goes to the just batshit marketing campaign that it had. Mm-hmm. And just how it drew in crowds of people who didn't even know anything about them. I mean, in that, you know, it was the first on-screen live-action iteration of Harley Quinn. So I know a lot of people were excited about that. And um, so, you know, the DCU sort of all over the place <laughs> at this point, critically and financially. And then finally, in early 2017, they have their first critical hit which is Wonder Woman, 93% Rotten Tomatoes, universally loved by pretty much everyone. And box office-wise, domestically, it's the number one of the entire DCEU with $412 million, and worldwide, it made 821 It was a little bit hindered worldwide because there are some countries, um, you know, kind of not all about the female lead, which, you know, is unfortunate, but it happens. And um, But, like, huge critical success, huge financial success. And then when I remember, when that movie came out, people were like, wow, DCU is really looking up. Hopefully Justice League delivers, and it didn't. Uh, comes out with a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it was a completely rushed, rehashed movie. That was Half of it was reshot and you know, really sloppily put together. They should have pushed back the release date. That's a to- topic for a whole other day. But the thing is, this was the most surprising financially. It was the lowest grossing, both domestically and worldwide domestically it made 229 million worldwide it made 657 didn't even reach man of steel numbers mm-hmm. and when you when you're like culmination of your universe where like the the build-up movie makes the least amount of money that's not a good sign and you know i, I just find it fascinating that the next movie after that where it makes the least makes the most with aquaman coming in at number one and part of that i think is due to james wan and the amazing film he made Part of it, I think, is that there was a whole year, more than a year before Justice League and Aquaman. So, like, people had time to just kind of forget about Justice League, get it out of their system, for the for those of who didn't like it. And also, Aquaman had a great marketing campaign. And it's wacky and weird, so that's going to have more overseas appeal. Mm-hmm. So I understand the foreign money that it was making. But the thing that's ironic is, in America, people are still iffy about embracing Aquaman, because it's second to last place right now although it, it will pass man of steel i think it and i feel confident saying it, it will pass man of steel domestically but um worldwide though this is a great sign for the dc extended universe especially for the new leadership because walter hamada is now in charge of running that place and he came in when aquaman was about halfway or three quarters of the way through shooting and um so that movie is not like completely 
his vision or what he wanted to do. But, you know, with um, Shazam coming out in spring of 2019, um, which is going to be his first vision, like fully fullized vision movie as being the head of the DC division, it's going to be interesting to see the direction in which these movies start taking because of Aquaman right now, Rotten Tomatoes wise, sitting at 64%. So it's fresh, but still kind of divided. But, you know, if Shazam comes out in the spring of 2019 and it's a critical success and a financial success, it'll be the first time that DC got two in a row in terms of, like, mostly fresh reviews and money-making. So I'm very I'm looking forward to seeing where the DC universe goes, especially when Shazam comes out. And, you know, it's really funny because I feel like with Aquaman, they really took their time. With Wonder Woman, they really took their time, and it shows. Whereas, like, all these other movies that didn't really do too well critically, it just felt rushed, and you can see it. So I'm really curious to know, like, it's fun playing what ifs, but like, what if they took their time making all these movies? Like, it could have turned out completely different. Well, they made money, but they probably could have made even more money if they really just took their time, buckled down with these characters, with these movies, and then just went for what they wanted to do rather than playing catch up with their universe. And I think the problem is under the old leadership, um, they were very reactionary. To any sort of reaction like um you know the suicide squad marketing completely changed after batman v superman came out because that first trailer for suicide squad was dark and it was creepy and after that it was ballroom blitz and you know flashy colors and you know it's it's just insane how reactionary they are and you know with Zack snyder at the home of the original like vision of the universe there's a lot of clashing with warner brothers a lot of too many cooks in the kitchen and, you know, which resulted in, you know, the whole Justice League being what it is. So I'm glad that they have new leadership and that there's, they're clearly going in a direction that they're committed to. And that, as of right now, looks like it could be a good thing. But I think Shazam's going to be the real test mm-hmm. to see where that goes. And then Wonder Woman 2 after that. But uh, moving on to our next story, Ryan Warner. Mm-hmm. Do you like the Kingsman franchise? I'd say it's pretty solid. Um, I'm a really big fan of both the first and the second one. Um on any given day, if you ask me, I might flip back and forth between the two. So I, I'd say they're about pretty even with me. Cool, cool. I love, <clears throat> excuse me, I love the first Kingsman. I thought the second one was okay. It has really redeeming qualities, but I thought it was a huge step down from the first one. But um, irregardless, I love the franchise. And I think that, you know, it has a lot of potential for more movies. And we knew a few weeks ago Taron Egerton made comments when promoting um, his new Elton John film that he would not be returning for the third installment. But something we did find out is not only is the third installment happening, it's happening sooner than we thought, and it is confirmed that it will be a prequel to the first movie. And where we're getting this information is a tweet from Mark Millar, who did the graphic novel, the Kingsman graphic novels, who tweeted... Matthew Vaughn on the phone earlier, a very talented 18-year-old Scottish actor getting a part in the Kingsman prequel, which is shooting a week from now. And he goes on to explain how he knows who the kid is, and it's a coincidence, but the first half of that tweet, a very talented 18-year-old Scottish actor getting a part in a Kingsman prequel shooting a week from now. So that movie is about to start shooting, which is kind of kind of crazy considering it had no release or build-up leading up to this, and um, it's a unique strategy. Um, you know, and, you know, with him being a Scottish actor, I don't know if it's going to take place in Scotland or if this actor is going to be doing an accent, depending on where they're at, who knows, but it it is going to be a prequel, which, you know, I have mixed feelings about because, you know, Matthew Vaughn has a good track record with prequels because X-Men First Class, I think is a great film, but, um, I think that, um, with 
this movie happening and it being more under the radar, it might, I mean, this, this is just me speculating, you know, just theories, but it might have something to do with Matthew Vaughn not being too thrilled with the marketing from Kingsman 2 and kind of spoiling a lot of what was going on in that film. So I'm thinking maybe he either made a deal or is just trying to keep things under the radar about this movie because he was not a fan of how the other one was marketed. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I could agree with that. Um, it's very interesting that we got these news uh, or this news by tweet. Yeah. Um, usually it's some other reporting source that broke the story, but Mark Millar is the one who came out and said, yeah, we're shooting like a week from today. Which is insane because this is such, it, it's starting to become a big franchise, I feel like. Because mm-hmm. um, the first movie came out of nowhere. The second one, personally, I feel like it delivered as a good um, follow-up to the first one. And uh, I, I'm very interested to see how the prequel is going to go. Because like you said, Matthew Vaughn did First Class, which I haven't seen all the X-Men movies and we've been watching them together. And... I'd say First Class is one of the best X-Men movies that they made. And I'm very excited to see what he's going to do with his third installment. And even though it's a prequel, I'm curious to know like how they're going to take it. Because the first one is already like his story. So I wonder if they're going to tie Eggsy in or not at all. Or just name drop him because obviously he said he's not in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious as to like what the prequel, like how they're taking it. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm curious as to how far back it is. Yeah, because like, wouldn't it be nuts if it takes place in like the 1800s and it's like a period piece Kingsman movie? That'd be oh my so God, awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah, but um, it could be anything from that. It could be involving Eggsy's father. Who knows? Yeah. But um, I'm really curious to see it, and hopefully with them shooting soon, we'll see set photos and get more official releases about things. I can't remember. And is Eggsy just English or is he Scottish or Irish or like like what is he in Kingsman? Do you remember? I believe he's English. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't too sure about that. So, that'd be wild if it took place in like 1800s. Yeah. I mean, this is just speculation, but yeah. that, that would be that'd be cool. All right, moving on to our next story. Ryan, there is a franchise that I really love. <coughs> and it's it's not good though. Like it's not a like they're not well quality films by any stretch of the imagination. But, okay. But um they come up with the most interesting and unique ways to portray death and people dying in just batshit crazy ways. These films are called Final Destination. Are you familiar? I am, but I honestly haven't seen any of the movies. You're joking. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my god. I have to buy them all on Blu-ray so we can watch them. Dude, they're ridiculous. I love them. But um, The Hollywood Reporter is reporting that the Final Destination franchise will be rebooted with a new film from writers of the Saw franchise, Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan, who I believe their first script was for Saw 4. So, you know, I, I think they're going to f- follow the, um, you know, not great quality but awesome deaths mm-hmm. route, which I'm perfectly fine with as long as the deaths deliver. But um, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I love the franchise. <laughs> Bless you, dude. Thank you, dude. But, yeah, but um, I think um, – this is going to be a really interesting project to reboot because I'm curious as to how the audience is going to react Mm -hmm. because I know it was very, very popular amongst teens in the early 2000s, like high high school students. So I'm very curious if that audience is going to come back to see this movie and that's how it will make money or if they will reach out to the younger audience. Like, I don't know how um, modernized, like, the movie's going to look or feel the characters, you know, we'll find that out as it, you know, gets made in a few years. Yeah. But the fact that it's happening has me excited 
And I'm curious as to your thoughts. I know you haven't seen the films, but is this something you'd be interested in checking out? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm starting to watch all the Saw movies because I'm watching them for the first time. Yeah. And I actually just finished Saw 5 last night, funny enough. Um, so I'm curious to know how they're going to do it. I'll, I'll, before this movie comes out, I'm definitely going to have to watch the, maybe not all of them, but some of the final Destination movies just to kind of get a oh, feel. Oh, we're going to watch all of them. Just oh. letting you know. Oh, I'm ready for it, dude. Um, but I'm I'm very curious to know if they're going to take it because I don't know how those films are structured, but I'm curious if they're going to take a very Saul approach where like everything's kind of connected like story-wise, but everyone dies or I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what to expect, but I'm looking forward to it because I love bad movies. I love stupid yeah. movies, goofy movies. I love it. Well, the thing is like with the original franchise, the first two movies were connected. Third one, completely unrelated. Fourth one, completely unrelated. I mean, they reference stuff, but like it's a completely different set of characters. Like. Okay. Um, but then the fifth one is related to the first two, but I'm not going to tell you how, because it was actually a twist. Interesting. The, the fifth one actually surprised me in the theater because it had something that I did not know was going to happen. It actually hid a twist and in a lot of reviews <coughs> for Final Destination five. A lot of them were like, this movie was whatever, but I will, I won't lie. I did not see that coming. And that, that was good. Like a lot, a lot of reviews, even the bad ones will say that. Mm. So, so yeah, so I'm very curious as to how this is going to turn out. Hopefully, I wish them the best. I hope it turns out well. And who knows, maybe it even turns out to be an actual good movie. I mean, I doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah. But I'm ready for more crazy deaths on screen. That's that's why I'm here. And hopefully, they deliver. And, you know, it's going to be fresh seeing this in theaters with all the comic book movies, the action movies, and then we're just going to get, like, a random Final Destination movie where they just are off the walls, just killing each other for no or they're not killing each other like in Saul but they just die in ridiculous ways so it's gonna be fresh seeing that in theaters I feel like I mean always for me so um yeah anyway moving on to our next story we're gonna give a quick review <clears throat> for the film The Upside starring Kevin Hart and Brian Cranston I'm gonna go ahead and let you start off with your thoughts um it was a very light-hearted like cute movie about friendship um I'm not the biggest Kevin Hart fan, personally. Um, I did like him in Jumanji. I thought he was really good in Jumanji. And he kind of surprised me in this movie, um, honestly. He took a more serious, dramatic-driven role while there were some comedic elements. Um, he just wasn't all over the board, I feel like, like he normally is. But I, I genuinely enjoyed his performance. I think him and Brian Cranston had great on-screen chemistry. And Brian Cranston played a quadriplegic who... He played him very convincingly. I thought he did fantastic, and I love him from Breaking Bad. I thought he was great in that, but... It was a very lighthearted, cute movie. I wasn't expecting it, again, to make $19 million in the box office, but it did, and good for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those are just my thoughts on it yeah um <clears throat> i echo a lot of your thoughts i thought it was very like cute okay movie there there's some it has elements of really good screenwriting mm -hmm. and there are a few moments in the movie where you're like just as someone who loves movies i'm like wow that was a really good moment that they did there and then there are sometimes especially on a technical level where i'm just like okay what what the hell was that and it's they have a couple moments back and forth like that but for the most part i think if the chemistry between brian cranston and kevin hart doesn't work then the film doesn't work and I think that um, since their chemistry was so well that the movie worked. Mm -hmm. And like we said, I've never seen the original film. It's called The Untouchables. I'm, I want to watch it because I've heard it's amazing. 
But um, something that I um, liked seeing in this film is something you sort of brought up. Is this was more a dramatic, more of a dramatic role for Kevin Hart? And even then, I felt that the, his comedic moments in this movie landed more than most of his recent comedies that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think it just goes to show that like, when you have someone as immensely talented as Kevin Hart, if you just subdue him a bit and just kind of give him direction and don't just let him always let, don't always let him be a loose cannon, he's capable of really amazing, powerful, dramatic, and comedic work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm actually, like, like Liu, I was not a big fan of Kevin Hart, but after this performance, I'm going to go see the next movie that he's in. And uh, hopefully he gets more roles like this because I feel like he would really do well. Yeah. And um, yeah, overall, that movie's okay. I probably give it like a B or a B minus if I because I like to give grades. But mm-hmm. but yeah, um, overall very decently okay. And you know, for um, January, a month that's famous for dumping bad movies, this movie was much better than anticipated. Yeah, and it's funny that you said it's a it's a kind of a remake of a foreign movie because it's a the original I believe was a French film. Yeah. And. <laughs> it's from what I because I looked it up because I was curious to know like where it came from um, but I guess the original French film is the most successful French film in history for France really? so it's very interesting to see that they you know redid it and then hear it you know I, I, I don't want to say it underperformed but I don't know if that's what the studio was looking for I'm sure they were looking for higher numbers but yeah. it still did pretty good yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I think the studio initially when the film was being made was hoping for better results. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, it came out number one yeah. and hopefully continues to make money next week, even though it's facing up against glass. OK, we're going to move on to our last bit of information for this episode. The Critics Choice Awards were last night and uh, very interesting things went down. The Golden Globes happened uh, about a week or two ago, but I, I don't really like talking about them because... One, you know, those awards are kind of fake and they're easily bought. Denzel Washington famously joked about, you know, after he won an award, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, I was told to meet and have dinner and I'd win an award and yet here I am. And, you know, it's what happened with the Golden Globes. But um, going to the Critics' Choice Awards, you know, leading up to the Oscars, all these award shows are happening, whether it's the PGA, WGA, DGA, all these award shows are happening. Critics' Choice Awards had theirs last night, and these are trying. People are trying to sort of gather up what's going to go down at the Oscars, who's going to get nominated, what's going to win. And last night just threw things into a loop for people who thought they had their predictions on lock. So I'm just going to go through some of the winners on the movie side. I won't really focus on the TV side, <clears throat> but here are some of the winners on the movie side of the Critics' Choice Awards. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Best picture, best overall picture went to Roma. I feel like that's not too surprising because if you follow anyone who talks about movies, I personally haven't seen this. I know you have. Um, a, a lot of people are kind of talking about this in the best picture category for the Oscars. And he, I, I don't know his name. I'm, Alfonso Corian. Yeah, he won best director for uh, at the Golden Globes. So good for him. Yeah. Oh, uh, the night gets better for him. You just wait. Um, for best actress... There was actually a sort of tie. Yeah, there was a tie for Best Actress. That's strange. Like, yeah. I've, I've never heard of anything. Like, has that ever happened before? I don't know. But the two winners were Glenn Close for The Wife and Lady Gaga for Her Star is Born. So who knows what that award is going to end up being at the Academy Awards. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah, because no. I, I know a lot of people want Lady Gaga to at least get nominated. Yeah, but but everyone's saying about Glenn Close's performance and the wife, they're saying it's just unbelievable. Is she the, Did she win the Golden Globe? For, she did. Okay, yeah. okay. 
so yeah, that's going to be, that kind of throws a wrench in everyone's predictions, like you said, because that's yeah. interesting. And also, uh, Glenn Close might have the upper hand, because every now and then the Oscars give out, like, the quote-unquote, like, career Oscar of, like, you've been great, and you haven't won anything yet, so here you go. Like, Scorsese for The Departed, you know, Gary Oldman last year, just kind of like, yeah, you're great, here you go. You know, so people are thinking that that might be Glenn Close's year for that. Hmm. For supporting actor, Mahershala Ali for Green Book, no, not a real surprise there. Good, we... We love Mah- Mahershala Ali yes, here we, at Movie we Nights. Love, we, love, we love Mahershala Ali. Supporting actress Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk, which I think she gave a great performance. Yeah, she was fantastic in that. Um, this made me really happy. They also have a category for Best Young Actor slash Actress. Okay. And the winner went to Elsie Fisher for 8th Grade. Good. Well-deserved. Yes. Yes, I'm very, very happy with that result. I'm glad that, you know, they're still looking at that movie because like, it's award season um, I didn't hear anything about it at the Golden Globes. Mistake me if I'm. Or, they they nominated. Wrong. They nominated her. Okay. For one of the like, I think best actress in a comedy or something like that. Okay. Um, best acting ensemble went to the favorite, which not spread. Like, if that's an award, then yeah. Yeah. Of course, that goes to the favorite. Best director Alfonso Cuarón for Roma. No surprise. Yeah. No surprise. Best original screenplay went to First Reformed, which. I mentioned a long time ago when I saw this in theaters, and you, I want you to confirm this. When I saw First Reformed, I said, hey, don't be surprised if this movie gets a lot of Oscar attention. Although I thought it would mostly be for Ethan Hawke's performance mm-hmm. as an actor. But now, with the original screenplay win, this is going to be putting it on a lot of people's list to possibly win this award at the Academy. Yeah, and it's funny because when it's, it came out early 2018? Not, or not early, but like right as the summer was ending. Oh, wow. Yeah, because yeah, I think you're the only movie night to see that movie. Yes, and And whenever that movie did come out and you watched it, you were talking about it for a while. And I've been meaning to watch it just because of how much you genuinely love that movie. Um, but very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to adapted screenplay was If Bill Street Could Talk. Which, you know, good screenplay, good movie, not too surprised for went to Barry Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Cinematography also went to Alfonso Corion. That son of a bitch got like three awards. Yeah. Um production design went to Black Panther. Editing went to First Man, which I, I'm I'm okay with. That that was that movie kinda deserves the editing. Yeah, I mean I know we talked about this movie on our last episode, but uh, I I could see it and now I'm I'm okay with it winning mm-hmm. uh, best editing. Yeah. Um, best costume design went to Black Panther, which I'm actually really happy about because I think of all the awards that's being considered for, costume design is the one that I think undoubtedly it deserves. Oh, for sure. Um, hair and makeup went to Vice because you know how Christian Bale looks, obviously. And and Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell yeah, looks yeah. just like George Bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best visual effects went to Black Panther, which I thought was kind of funny. I mean, I, I like the visual effects in that movie, but there, then there's that fight at the end where they just look atrocious. On the train. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, good for, like, a comic book movie yeah, yeah. winning this. Good for Black and Panther. Like, and I think every other effect in that movie is great. I think yeah. that's the only one where it's like, oof. And it's funny because I, I would think that for, like, a movie that that would be, like, oh, wow, this one mm. scene is going to kill it, but... Mm. I mean, again, good for Black Panther, good for, you know, a comic book movie yeah. winning uh, winning all these Although, awards. Although, I think it, because Infinity War was also nominated, and I think it should have went to them just for how Thanos looks alone. Alone, yeah. yeah. Thanos looked amazing. Yeah. And, but, uh, I mean, we'll see how that goes at the Academy. We'll see. Yeah. Um, animated feature went to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, thank God. Yes. Well-deserved. 
They they have an award for best action movie, and it went to Mission Impossible Fallout. Good. Yes. That 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 makes me happy. Yes, me too. They also have a best comedy award, and it went to Crazy Rich Asians. Which oh, what was the award? I'm sorry. Best comedy. Okay. And I saw the first 45 minutes of that movie, so I can't really talk about it. But I liked what I saw. But it, it was nominated against some other movies that we had seen. But I mean, from everyone, everyone's been telling me that it's a great film. So hopefully, I get to finish that movie soon. Yeah. Um, best actor went to Christian Bale for Vice, beating out Rami Malek. Wow, that's interesting. I, I haven't had a chance to watch it, but I know that you know you were talking about how he really is owns the movie. Yeah, he he owns the movie and he owns every scene he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I would go see Vice just for his performance and Amy Adams. She was good too. Best sci-fi or horror movie went to A Quiet Place. Bang bang. Good. Well, Hereditary was also nominated, though, so that was kind of like, oof, I'd be okay with either of them winning. I'd be okay with either one of them, but I'd much rather see A Quiet Place win just because I feel like it's more of an original concept. I agree. Um, Best foreign language movie? Take a wild guess. I'm sorry, say that one more time. Best foreign language movie? Probably Roma. Bam. Got it. Good job. Best song? Shallow, Star is Born. That's that's going to ride the wave all the way to the Oscars. Best score went to Justin Hurwitz for First Man again. Really? The music in that movie, yeah. And the music was very good in that film. So I'll have to watch it again or at least listen to the score because I honestly don't remember it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Christian Bale earlier, yeah. Mr. Warner, Best Actor in a Comedy also went to Christian Bale for Vice. They gave him both nominations and both wins. Wow. Which is kind of crazy. But, I mean, well-deserved. And for Best Actress in a Comedy, it went to Olivia Coleman for The Favorite, playing the Queen. Yeah, she was really good in that. I mean, yeah. it's a very ensemble movie, but yeah. she was really good in it. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. But, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of the movie side of the Critics' Choice Awards. And um, overall thoughts on the Oscar race and what are you sort of looking forward to in terms of specific nominations? Is there a nomination that you haven't seen yet that you're hoping happens emily blunt for a quiet place for a supporting actress yeah okay um i thought i mean we've talked about this before but like just the bathtub scene alone is just Mm -hmm. terrifying and she is wonderful in that movie um i think everything else that i'm looking forward to has kind of been nominated um you know lady gaga for um a star is born shallows i love that song um I'm very interested to know because coming off the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Awards, so it'll be uh, it'll be an interesting time seeing these nominations come out. When should we expect these nominations for the Oscars, and when is when are the Oscars? Voting for the Academy Awards actually ended yesterday, and the nominees will be announced on January 22nd, so like a week from now, or a little bit more than a week from now, and the uh, they are announced. Or, you know, the ceremony is February 24th. Yes, February 24th. So that's when the Oscars happen. Um, For me, personally, I I, I agree. I think that Emily Blunt needs to be recognized, whether it's for Mary Poppins or A Quiet Place. I think she just deserves to be recognized. But there's one thing, not only in terms of a nomination, but I wholeheartedly believe in terms of a win. Okay, at least a nomination. I think it should win. But I think it would be crazy to not nominate Toni Collette for Hereditary. And she has gotten, like, n- almost no nominations across the board. And I find that mind-boggling. What do you think? Yeah, she... There's one scene, and I'm sure you could pick up on what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that just draw instantly draws you into the movie just mm-hmm. because of her performance. And 
I'd say that she's uh, not getting the recognition that she deserves for that movie. Um, another very interesting one that I kind of want to throw at you, though. Uh, you can go back to Tony Clip, but while I'm thinking about it, I at least want to bring it up. Is I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is good enough to be nominated for Best Picture. Not Best Animated, but for Best Picture. I agree with you. I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's not unprecedented. Animated movies have been nominated for Best Picture before. But I don't know. It's, it's one of the things that we're just going to have to see. see. But um, who knows? Maybe. Like I said, it's not unprecedented. It's happened. But I think, you know, with these more awards coming out, I think hopefully Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse will win Best Animated Feature. Because for the longest time, it was Incredibles 2 until, bam, Spider-Verse came out and just blew everyone away. Yeah. So I'm hoping that the Oscars had enough time to watch the movie and hopefully, you know, give it a thorough assessment and make sure it wins the animated feature award. But we'll see. Well, that's pretty much the show we have for you guys this week. Hopefully next week our voices will be much better. Uh, my name is Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And we'll see you guys next time.